Father, as we come again to your word and uh, we uh, look at this story of how Abraham made what seems to be a fatal mistake by going down to Egypt when you had called him into the land of Canaan. And Lord, it's a mistake that we see a type of uh, through Abraham that we make in our own lives. And so, Lord, there's lots of good lessons for us to learn here about what happens to us when when at times we seem to turn our back on our faith, when we maybe turn back to sin and uh, we go back to Egypt ourselves. And, uh, Lord, I just ask that uh, you show us how you handle those situations and what they, uh, the consequences of those situations, especially the eternal consequences of those situations. Well, there's just some great lessons here for us to glean uh, in Abraham's failure here today to, to stay within your will. And so... We just ask that you be our teacher by the power of your Holy Spirit. And I ask that in the name of Jesus Christ. It's in his precious name that I pray. Amen. Okay, if you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Genesis, chapter number 12. And we'll be picking up uh, in verse number 10. Uh, And what's going to happen today, Abraham is going to really be a bad boy, and he's going to Uh, get outside of the will of God, and he's going to head down to Egypt. And there's no doubt that uh, he would have destroyed his life, Uh, he would have annulled his calling uh, if God had not intervened. Now, whenever we see a biblical character go down to Egypt, in the Bible, Egypt is always a type of the world And Pharaoh is always a type of the devil. I mean, it's as if Pharaoh, that the devil is the Pharaoh of this world. And so, uh, and by world, what I mean, I'm speaking of the secular world. Uh, In the Greek, that's called the cosmos. You've heard of the cosmos before. It's sort of like Babel. Uh, It's a place where uh, where, uh, man relies on his own uh, intuition on his own wisdom on his own power instead of relying on God and it's the place where we were all living before God called us and sought us out and and made us uh, his children so we all were living in the world before we were saved but there's this temptation that to go back to the world and and in the Bible when we see a character go back to Egypt uh, it's as if they're going back to their old place in life. Uh, and uh, in order to do that, they have to turn their back on God and they have to turn their back on the calling of God. Uh, in Wednesday night, Brandon was in Second Kings chapter 17. And in Second Kings chapter 17, the Lord speaks of the main, one of the main reasons why the Israelites went into captivity. And one of the main reasons was that instead of, when they were in trouble and Assyria was attacking them, instead of calling upon the name of the Lord, they called upon Pharaoh and they called upon the gods of Egypt. Now think about that a minute. What what had God done for them? He had brought them out of Egypt. He had brought them out of the bondage of of, of Pharaoh. He had, he had delivered them from the Egyptian gods and he had become the true and living God to them. But then they had gotten so far away from God that when trouble came, 
instead of turning to God, they went and turned back to Egypt. And in today's lesson, that's exactly what Abraham's going to do. He's going to find himself in trouble. There's going to be a great famine in the land. And instead of turning to God and seeing what God wants him to do, uh, he's going to head on down to Egypt and back to his old ways. And he's going to take matters into his own hands, and he's going to lie, and he's going to connive, and he's going to do all sorts of things that uh, he didn't do uh, when he was in the will of God. And he's going to rely on his own intuition, his own strength, and uh, he's going to try to get himself out of the fix he's in, and actually he's going to get himself in a lot of trouble. And again, he would have destroyed himself, and he would have lost his calling, annulled his calling, if God had not intervened. Now, there's a... Great lessons for us uh, in this, these trips we see in the Bible back to Egypt. Because we're going to be tempted from time to time to go back to the old life. The life that we were living before God sought us out and he called us. And when we do that, we, it, it, you, you know you're doing that if you begin to take matters into your own hand. You get into trouble and instead of finding the Lord's will and seeing what the Lord wants you to do and seeking out uh, God's way, we try to do things our way in our own strength. And we, we, uh, we, we go back to relying on others instead of relying on God. And we, we create other gods that we rely on. A lot of people, you see people who are part of the faith and they get into trouble and they go back to their old ways of sin sometimes. I mean, if they were drunkards, they go back to drinking. If they were drug, druggies, they go back to drugs. If they were homosexuals, they go back to homosexual. They, they, homosexuality. They, they try to find some means of escaping that trial that they're in instead of turning to God. And, and, uh, we, we know that uh, none of those things can deliver us from uh, those, uh, uh, trouble in this world. So what happens? What happens then? What does God do then? Well, that's what we want to learn today as we, we look closely at Abraham's venture down to Egypt uh, in today's lesson. But let's pick up where we left off last time. Uh, and uh, Abraham was living in obedience to God. He was living it. He had gone down to Canaan like God. He had left Haran and he'd gone down to Canaan and he was moving through Canaan, but he couldn't find a place to stay. Everywhere he went, what did he find? He found Canaanites. And Canaanites were worldly pagans. And, and Abraham had come out of that life and he didn't want to go back to that life. And so he was looking for a place to stay. Well, he found one place that looked pretty good uh, just east of Jerusalem in between Bethel and, and the Jordan River. And he parked there with his whole entourage. Remember, he had hundreds of servants. He had all of this cattle. And uh, he had his wife and he had his family. He had Lot and Lot's family. And, and he parks there and he calls upon the name of the Lord, but the Lord doesn't answer him. So he takes that as a no and he begins to move out again. And this time he heads south down to the Negev. And, and we see that in verse number 10. If you look at chapter 12, remember we left off in verse number 10. And listen to what it says. It says, now there was a famine in the land. Now, and I believe that the famine that the Moses is speaking of here is just the Negev itself. If you were to go down and look at that bottom part of Israel, that inverted triangle that runs all the way from, from Jerusalem and the Dead Sea all the way down to the Gulf of Aqaba, it, that whole area 
uh, except for maybe Beersheba, is nothing but a barren land. It wouldn't be a place to, to raise your family or to, to raise your cattle. You wouldn't find enough water. You wouldn't find enough food. And so uh, I think that's what he's speaking of here, that there was, it, this place was a barren place and there was a famine in the land. And so Abraham, instead of turning back to Canaan, I think at this point he's pretty frustrated because he's gone all the way down from Haran and it's a 400-mile journey. He's traveling through Canaan. He can't find a place to stay. God's not answering him right now. He's down in the Negev and they're dying of thirst. And so I think at this point he was fed up. And I, I think what he would have done, he would have gone all the way back to, the, to Mesopotamia, to, to the city of Ur where he was from and said, man, I've had enough of this. Or back to Haran. But that was too far away. And so he looks at a map and he says, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to head down to Egypt because Egypt is prospering and I'm going to take all of my people and all of my cattle and I'm going to go down to Egypt. And obviously that's outside the will of God. So that's the big problem here because God had sent him to Canaan, not to Egypt. But anyway, he heads down to Egypt. Look at verse number 11. And it came to pass when he was close to entering Egypt, that he said to his wife, Indeed, I know you are a woman of beautiful countenance. Now, here was Sarah. She was uh, 65 years old at this point. She hadn't lived half her life, so that's 65 seems pretty old, but she still was a relatively young woman. But she had to be an absolute knockout, just from what we're going to learn from this story. I mean, she was one beautiful woman. And, and Abraham, as he, he starts heading down, he comes to the edge of Egypt, he starts noticing that all these men are lusting after his wife. And so uh, he says, hey, uh, uh, you're, a, you're a woman of beautiful countenance. So he devises his plan in verse 12. He says, therefore it will happen when the Egyptians see you that they will say, this is his wife. And they will kill me. Now, listen, listen to the pronouns here. They will kill me and will let you live. In other words, you're going to make it, but I'm going to die. We can't let that happen. Uh, no way. Uh, now, it sounds maybe like Abraham's overreacting here a little bit, but, but he knew the reputation of these Egyptians. I mean, they were cruel, barbaric pagans. And uh, they very well might have killed Abraham and taken his wife and taken his property and and his slaves, and, and uh, uh, so he is being pragmatic here, but pretty selfish to, to be willing to give up his wife in order to save his hide. And so he has this plan in verse number 13. He says, please say you're my sister, that it may be well with me for your sake, and that I may live because of you. Man, this is some great man of honor and faith here right now, isn't he? Uh, in other words, I, I'm going to turn you over to them so I can live. And, and partially, I mean, everybody says Abraham was lying at this point, but really it's only a half lie because we know that Sarah was actually Abraham's half-sister. Abraham's going to do this again. He's going to go down to the land of Abimelech uh, later on when there's another famine. And King Abimelech is going to do the same thing. He's going to take Sarah to be his wife. And Abraham's going to tell him, that's fine, she's my, my sister. And Abimelech's going to take her and he's going to bring her into his harem. And then God's going to appear to him in a dream and tell him, I'm going to kill you if you don't give Sarah back to Abraham. 
And so Abimelech is going to come to Abraham and he's going to say, what in the world were you doing to me, lying to me? You could have gotten me killed. But Abraham says at that point, and I'm quoting here from Genesis 20, he says, she, she is truly my sister. I wasn't lying to you. She is the daughter of my father, but not the daughter of my mother. And she became my wife. So he really, this isn't a total lie, but it still shows a real flaw in his character. Now, here's what makes this plan so bad. I mean, really bad. Abraham had forgotten the calling already. I mean, it had just been maybe, maybe months, maybe weeks that God had called him and give, made all those great promises to Abraham. And, and, and in effect, he's forsaken the Lord at this point. I mean, the Lord had promised to protect him. Remember what the Lord had said in Genesis 12, 3? He said, I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you. And then he told him in, in verse 7, he said, in, in you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. In other words, in your seed, you're going to have a son, and through your son, and, 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 and the mother's going to be Sarah, and through you and Sarah, uh, you're going to have a son, and through that son is going to come the Messiah who's going to bless the whole earth. And so God had made him all of these promises, but as soon as he got into trouble... He forgot all those promises. Sound familiar? You ever do that? I mean, you're moving along and you're just believing everything about the word of God and then all of a sudden trouble comes. Bad trouble and you say, God, how can I be in this kind of trouble? What are you doing allowing me to get in this kind of trouble? And then you begin to doubt God. And then you start hearing those voices in your head. And, and I'm sure Abraham heard those demonic voices too. And, and he begins to doubt God. And before long, he throws the whole thing out and, and uh, he's ready to, to let his wife go and and uh, ready to throw out the window everything that God had given him in order to save his hide. But he was right about the Egyptians. I mean, the Egyptians were cruel pagan people, and they probably would have killed him and taken his wife and his property if God hadn't intervened. Uh, Because look at verse number 14. So it was when Abram came to Egypt, that the Egyptians saw the woman that she was very beautiful. I mean, to them, she was the most beautiful woman they had ever seen. And they said, I want this woman for myself. And so they're lusting after this woman. They said, man, we really like your wife. And Abraham said, hey, she's not my wife, she's my sister. He's ready to throw her under the bus. But uh, uh, something good happens. God intervenes at this point. The, Sarah catches the eye of the, the princes who actually save her from, from, from the, the mob, so to speak. So in verse number 15, it says, The princes of Pharaoh also saw her, and they commended her to Pharaoh. And the woman was taken immediately away from Abram. He didn't kick or scream or yell or anything. And she was taken to Pharaoh's house. So they say, hey, we're taking your, your, your wife away. He says, hey, she's not my wife, she's my sister. And so Pharaoh, in verse number 16, treated Abram well. He gives him a diary for, for Sarah. He says, for, he, says uh, uh, he had, for her sake, he had sheep, he had oxen, he had male donkeys, uh, he had male and female servants, uh, female donkeys, and camels. So things are working out pretty good for Abram at this point. I mean, he's thinking, hey, you know, I've lost my wife, but I'm alive. And I got, look at all these donkeys and cattle and, and, and uh, female servants I've, I've accumulated. 
Uh, he might have been a little bit sad at this point, but it's really kind of sad that it's, there's not something here that he wept and he tried to pull his wife away. There's none of this. He, he took the diary and ran with it. But God saw things differently. I, I mean, no doubt God saw things differently. In God's eyes, Abraham's actions were evil. What Abraham did here was evil. He was interfering with God's great plan to make from his seed a great nation, to make from his seed a nation who would bring forth the Messiah who would save the world. And so he was messing with a pretty important plan. And so so God is going to intervene, and that's exactly what the Lord does. Look in verse number 17. But the Lord plagued Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. And Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she is your wife? Now, here's the question I want to ask at this point. How did Pharaoh find out that uh, Sarah was Abraham's wife? Well, there's a couple of possibilities. One possibility is that that, uh, Sarah told him. I mean, he got ready to to have a relation with her, and, and she said, Hey, I'm married to somebody else. I can't do this. Maybe Lot told him. Maybe the servants told him. I don't believe that's the case. What I believe is that Pharaoh, I, I don't believe that would have changed Pharaoh's mind. He still would have taken Sarah. If he, if, if, I mean, even if Sarah had said, uh, I'm Abram's wife, or if Lot had said that, or the servants said it, he still would have, would have, wouldn't have cared, and he would have taken Sarah as his wife. I believe that God told him just like he does in these other instances where we see Abram go back to Egypt or back to the world. We'll see Isaac go back to the world. And in every case, God comes to Pharaoh either audibly or in a dream, and he tells him, hey, that is Abraham's wife, and I've got a plan for her, and you better let her go, and you'd better not mess with her. And so I believe that's how he found out. Now in verse number 19, he says, Why did you say she is my sister? I might have taken her as my wife. And your God would have destroyed me and all my people with these plagues your God has brought upon me. Now, therefore, here's your wife. Take her and go your way. So Pharaoh commanded his man concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. In other words, he feared God so much. Pharaoh feared God so much. He feared what had happened in this situation so much that he didn't even take his dowry back. He said, hey, take the loot and go and take your wife and go. So here's Abraham outside the will of God, and he ends up with more stuff than he had when he went down to Egypt. And, 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 and so he's doing pretty well at this point. And it's interesting to me what happens to Pharaoh at this point. Pharaoh, more than likely, heard from the Lord. The Lord came to hear in a vision vision or in a dream, and he saw the Lord. And yet, you you would think that he would have repented and turned to to the Lord at that point, but all he wants is the Lord out of his hair. And he wants Abraham and Sarah out of his hair. And so he gives them the diary and everything and tells them to head on out. And then with the last verse that we're going to look at today, look what happens in verse number 1 of chapter 13. Then Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife, and all that he had, and a lot with him, to the south. And again, that word south there is the Negev. So what happens? Abraham goes back to Canaan, back to Negev. 
Now, I got to believe that the famine was still there in Negev because if you go to the Negev desert today, it's still there today. So nothing had changed other than Abraham was back in the land of Canaan where he was supposed to be. And he's going to survive that trip through the Negev. He's going to survive and God's going to show him a place to to live where he's going to prosper. So God has a big plan uh, for Abraham and we're going to see that plan unfold even though Abraham has his faults, even though Abraham uh, was disobedient to God by going down to Egypt, that plan is still in effect, and God's still going to do great things through Abraham's life. So we've seen what happens to Abraham when he went down to Egypt. Here's the question I want to pose to you today. What happens to a believer? What happens to us when we go back to the world, when we go back to Egypt, because Egypt is a type of the world, what happens to us when, when, when we become self-reliant and self-centered and we rely on other people instead of relying on God and we go back to a place outside the will of God, maybe even back to the sinful lifestyle that we were living before we got saved, what happens to us? What does God do to us when that happens to us? Well, we can answer that question by asking some questions about Abraham's experience down in Egypt. What happened to him is what's going to happen to us. Because just he's the father of faith and we're the children of faith. And what happens to all the children of faith is exactly what happened to Abraham when he went down to Egypt. It's the same thing that happens to us when we go down to Egypt. So I'm going to ask some questions here. I'm going to ask some questions here that we can kind of figure out what happens to us as opposed to what happens to Abraham. First of all, let me ask you this question. Just from hearing this story that we just went over. Did Abraham cause anybody any harm by going down to Egypt? Did he cause anybody any harm? You better believe he caused some people some harm. He caused himself some harm. He caused harm to his reputation. He caused harm to his character. Uh, some expositors say that, that Abraham lost his witness uh, because he harmed his reputation. That he wasn't a good witness while he was down in Egypt. And he wasn't a witness to Pharaoh and he wasn't a, a, a witness to those princes and he wasn't a good witness to those Egyptians. Uh, that's true. Uh, he had lost his witness uh, to some degree. Let me ask you this. You think Pharaoh and those Egyptians would have gotten saved if Abraham had gone down there and they'd and Abraham had stood up and he had, he had been a martyr and he had died for his faith, you think that they would have gotten saved? I don't think so. I don't think so. So, so for them, I, it didn't really matter, but it mattered to God. It mattered to God that Abraham had lost his witness, that he had damaged his character, that he had lost some reputation. You know, for us, we might live exemplary Christian lives in this world, We might be great witnesses and never see anybody get saved because of it. I mean, you might might be a great witness in your family. You might be a great witness uh, to your relatives, at your workplace, for your friends. And you might not see anybody get saved because they've got a choice to make. That's their choice. And and you might not ever, your witness might might not ever cause anybody to get saved. But does it matter? You better believe it matters. Because God wants his witness 
in this world. Whether people receive Christ or don't receive Christ, he wants the gospel shared in this world. And one of the best ways we share the gospel is by our witness. And so we don't want to damage our witness uh, uh, before man and before God. Now, Abraham did even more harm than just uh, lose his witness. Imagine what happened with his relationship with Sarah at this point. I mean, he was willing to throw her under the bus. You think maybe that scarred his relationship with Sarah? You better believe he, it did. I believe it did for the rest of their lives. I believe she remembered that the rest of her life. I mean, he loved me just enough, really not too much. Uh, ju- ju- he, he loved himself more than he loved me. He was willing to let me become part of Pharaoh's harem uh, instead of risking his life. And so, so I believe it certainly damaged his marriage. I, I know if I did something like that, it would damage my marriage. And I, I think any man in here would say the same thing. And any woman in here would say the same thing. So, so it scarred his relationship. Whenever we go back to the world, Whenever we go back to living like we used to live before we were saved, we hurt other people. Whether they get saved or not, I mean, it's great if they do, but whether they get saved or not, we hurt other people. If you had a really hot temper and you screamed at your family and you screamed at your wife all the time and then you got saved and you stopped all of that, and then things get, you get in trouble and things are bad in your life and you go back and you revert back to that old behavior and you begin to scream at your children, you begin to scream at your wife. You think that's going to do damage in your family? You better believe it is. So we hurt others when we go back to that lifestyle. So, so we don't want to, when we go back to Egypt. All right, the second question I want to ask you is this. Here's a really interesting question or important question. Did Abraham lose his salvation when he went down to Egypt? What's the answer to that? No. No, he didn't lose his salvation. Now, let me ask you this question. Did he deserve to lose his salvation? You better believe he did. If anyone could have lost their salvation or should have lost their salvation, it would have been Abraham at this point. Not only had he forsaken his wife, he had forsaken his God. He had forsaken his calling. Uh, he, it was this, he didn't care for God. He didn't care about his calling. He gave very little value to all those great promises. You go back, if you haven't been here, go back and read those promises that are in the first part of chapter 12 that God gave to this man. Unconditional promises, great promises for a great future. He's going to make him a great man. He was going to make him a great nation. He was going to make, make him the forefather of the Messiah. All of those things. And he just threw that right out the window. But did he lose his salvation? No, God wasn't through with Abraham. God had just begun to work in Abraham. And he who began a good work in Abraham was going to finish it to the end. You know, that's true for all of us. If God has sought you out and he has called you into his kingdom, he's begun to work in you. And the Bible says in Philippians, he who began a good work in you will complete it to the end. God's going to complete that work to the end. He made Abraham a great man of faith, and he's going to make you a, a, a great man or woman of faith. And in the end, when you see Jesus, you're going to be like Jesus. So you could ask another question here. Was God's plan for Abraham, was his calling 
uh, called off. What's the answer to that? No. Because God had started that work and he was going to complete that work at Abraham. The callings and elections of God are for sure. If God calls you and he elects you, he never, that's unconditional. He never reverses that call. He never says, well, I call you, but you haven't lived up to what I thought you were going to live up to. And, and so I'm, I'm, I'm reversing that call. Listen, God knew before the foundation of the world exactly how you were going to turn out in the end. He saw you in heaven before you were born. He saw you glorified before you were born. And he began a good work in you and he called you and he elected you and he's going to complete his work in you to the very end. And what's his greatest pleasure? Uh, His greatest pleasure is that we be conformed to the the image of Jesus Christ. And it says in Philippians 2.13, it is God who works in us to do his will and good pleasure. It's God who fulfills our calling. God works through us and in us to fulfill the calling he has for every single one of us. And, and, and his greatest pleasure is that, that we be conformed in the image of Christ. And when we see Christ in the end, we're told in 1 John that we will be like him. Now, here's a question that I want you to ponder for a minute. Uh, and, and, and I've heard... Uh, this taught in a different way. In fact, I think I've taught it in a different way myself in the past. But here's the question. Did, when Abraham went down to Egypt, uh, was he outside of God's hedge of protection? Had he gone outside of God's hedge of protection when he went down to Egypt? You know, I think I've t- preached it before that, hey, if you get out, but go back to the world, you're getting outside of the, the, head God, the hedge of God's protection. I believe nations can get outside the protection of God's hedge of protection, but I don't believe individual Christians can get outside the, God of, the protection of God, the hedge of protection of God. I mean, I mean, if Abraham was outside the hedge of protection, and he had gone down to Egypt and got himself into the trouble he got himself into. Uh, he probably would have died in Egypt and his wife would have been a part of Pharaoh's harem for the rest of her life. But he wasn't outside of God's hedge of protection. In fact, he was every bit as much uh, in God's hedge of protection when he was in Egypt outside the will of God as he was when he was in Canaan in the will of God. So... God, we are always, if we're a born-again believer, we're always inside God's hedge of protection. You know, I look back over my life. I got saved in 1989. But in God's eyes, I was chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. I'm quoting out of the book of Ephesians. Uh, And if you're a born-again believer, you were chosen in Christ uh, before the foundation of the world. So, so. When did you become, when did you get into God's hedge of protection, within God's hedge of protection? When did that take place? Let me tell you when it took place. When you were conceived in your mother's womb. David speaks of that. You, you wove me together in my mother's womb. You knew me in my mother's womb. 
So when, when, did our, when did the hedge of protection begin for, each, for every believer? When we were in our mother's womb. Long, a long time before we were ever saved. I look back on my life before I was saved. And I got to tell you, in those latter years, I had just about destroyed my life. And if I wasn't within the, God's hedge of protection at that point, I would have destroyed my life. And I wouldn't have ended up in... in, in I would have ended up in in hell as far as my eternal fate went if I wasn't within the hedge of protection of God. Look, does that mean it's, it's fine for uh, a believer to live in the world? I mean, you're going to be fine if you live in the world. God's going to protect you and nothing's going to happen? No. You remember what, what happened to the guy in, in 1 Corinthians who was having sexual relations with his father's wife? You remember that story? You remember what Paul said to do? Paul said to turn him over to Satan so his flesh will be destroyed so that his soul would be saved. Now, you look at that story, and it sounds like maybe he got outside the, the, by, by do, uh, committing that terrible sin. He got outside of God's hedge of protection, but he didn't. See, what God is doing through Paul is telling him, hey, I'm going to turn this guy over to Satan so his flesh is destroyed so I can save his soul. What was God doing, him by, doing by turning him over to Satan? He was actually protecting his soul. And so, so uh, when long before we were saved, and even when we fall back into sin, we're still in that hedge of protection. But that's not necessarily a good place to be. Back in the world is a dangerous place to be, and it causes all sorts of harm, as we looked at earlier, and it causes trouble. So, so we don't want to live in the world, but hey, and, but, and, and when we go back to the world, we're probably going to suffer. But we won't be destroyed because we're within God's hedge of protection. Now, the last question, and I think this is the most important question for every person in this room to ponder. Where are you at today? I mean, are you living in the will of God? I mean, are you living under the calling of God? Has God given you a calling? Has he sought you out? Has he given you direction? Are you living your life for the Lord at this point? Or, or, or did you do that at one time and maybe... You've gone back to the world and you're living for the world now. Well, here's the question. And I think it's the most important question that we can ask. When Abraham went down to Egypt, back to the world, so to speak, did he stay in Egypt? What's the answer to that question? No. No, he didn't stay in Egypt. Not because one day he woke up and he realized, hey, man, I've, I've really blown it here. I've, I've, I've trampled all over the calling that God's given me. Uh, I've made a big mistake, and I'm sorry, and I'm going to go back to Canaan. Is that the reason he went back to Canaan? No, the reason he went back to Canaan was because God got him out of Egypt and sent him back to Canaan. Why? Because he was God's child. And he was the forefather of the Messiah. And so God was taking care of him. He was in that edge of protection. And so he wasn't going to stay down in Egypt. Listen to me very carefully. God is not going to let a believer who turns back to the world stay down in the world. Look, when trouble comes, especially for those of you who haven't been saved that long, When trouble comes, the Pharaoh of this world, the old devil, Satan himself, he's going to tempt you to go back down to the world, to live a worldly life, to go back to your old way of life, 
where you make your own decisions without any regard for God's will, where you take matters into your own hands, where, where you rely on human wisdom instead of the wisdom of God, where, where once you use drugs, you go back to using drugs, where once you were an adulterer, you go back to adultery, where once you were a drunkard, you go back to being a drunkard. And, and you do that, and I see people do this who are truly born-again believers, to escape the situation they're in. Do you escape it by going back to the world? No, you've got to deal with it. You've got to deal with it soberly. You've got to deal with it in your relationship with God. And so, so you, you might be tempted to fall back into the world. You won't lose your salvation at that point because you're going to go down to Egypt, but God's going to bring you up out of Egypt. He's going to protect you. He's going to bring you back because you're his child and you were chosen into him before the foundation of the world. But here's what I want you to see. And this is the big difference between a true believer and a pretender. You've heard of that theological term, the perseverance of the saints. Uh, one of the true marks of a believer is that they will persevere to the end in their faith. I believe that with all my heart. They'll have lapses of faith, but they'll persevere it to the end. Not because they're stronger than other people, but because they have the same God as every other Christian has, and that God is not going to let you stay down in Egypt. So that's the difference between a true believer and a pretender. A true believer won't, might go back to the world, but he won't stay in the world. A, and, and, and maybe because they don't want to, but even if they wanted to, God's not going to let them stay in the world. But pretenders... They come and they taste of heavenly things. They've heard the gospel. They've heard about Jesus Christ. They've, they've made a, some of them have even made a public confession. Some of them have even been baptized. And they come to church for a while, but then difficulty comes. Really harsh difficulty. And they turn their back on God. They, at least that's the expression that you hear. They turn away from God. They go back to the world and they never come back. They stay there. The reason they stay there might be because they want to stay there. But the primary reason they stay down there is they're not children of God. Or God would get them back. I mean, I've been, born, I've been saved for 30 years now. And over that 30 years, there have been, I don't want to say several times, there's been a few times where I've at least wanted to go back to the world. And to some degree, I've said, I've had it with his faith, and I'm heading back to the world. I remember one morning, I've shared this with you before, but I remember one morning I got up at seminary, and I'd been at seminary, and things weren't happening right, and, and there was financial troubles and all sorts of things going on. And so I said, God, I've had it. I'm done with everything. I'm walking. I'm out of here. I'm heading. I'm, 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 not, I, I'm through with seminary. I'm even through with his faith. I'm going back to doing what I did before I was saved. Well, I'll tell you how that worked out for me. Uh, Eli and Nathan had dental appointments that morning. Uh, this, was, this was not long after 2001, and there was all this tension in the world with Muslims and, and uh, much more so than there is right now. I'm sure that'll come back, but, but uh, with Muslims and Christians. And, and uh, I'm taken to the dentist, and I back out of the dentist's office, and I ram into a truck. I'm really kind of mad. And I back out and I ram into this truck. Well, it was a truck full of Iranians. 
And I immediately said, Lord, I'm sorry. I'm not quitting. I'm going back to seminary. Just get me out of this fix. (laughs) God's not going to let you stay there. He wasn't going to let me stay there. He's not going to let you stay there. He knows how to get you back out of the world and back into a lifestyle where you're living for him. You know, the Bible says this about the pretenders. It says they're like dogs who return to their vomit. Are pigs who return to the pigsty. Now let me ask you, why does a dog return to his vomit? You can feed him the best food in the world off your table, and he'll vomit it up, and he'll go eat the vomit. Why does he do that? Because he's a dog. Why does a pig, you can dress a pig up and bring him to church, and you can, you can take him out to Piccadilly's and feed him the best meal Piccadilly's had, which is really kind of like pig, no, I shouldn't say that. But you can, you, can feed him, you can feed him the best meal he's ever eaten. And then as soon as you get him back home, he's going to head right back to the pigsty. Why is he going to head to the pigsty? Because he's a pig. And pretenders are just like that. They're a worldly pagan and they might pretend to be Christians. But in the end, they're going to head back to the world. And they're not going to come, ever come back to God again. They hadn't lost their salvation. They never had salvation so ask that question are you are you going to persevere if you're in the will of God and I'm talking about in the sense that you've been born again and you've been called by God and you've been sought out by God you're going to make it you're going to make it in the end and you might try to go back to the world at times and and, and I promise you, it's going gonna, it's gonna to beat you up to the point you're going to come back to the Lord. And the Lord's going to draw you back. If you're here today, and you're living like the world, and you're going to continue to live like the world, you're just kidding yourself. You're a pretender. We're going to do a baptism here in a minute. And, and when Paul describes the meaning of baptism over in Romans chapter 6. Listen to what he says. He says, Or do you not know that as many of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? No, what's he mean by that? When he died, we identify with his death. And by his death, we were baptized with his death on the cross because what was he doing on the cross? He was paying for our sins. And so... When he died, we, he was dying for our sins, and we identify with that death. And then we're buried. Listen to what he says. Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism. In other words, once we identified with his death, we identified with his life. We identified with his righteousness, with who he is. And so we were buried to the old life, to Egypt, to the world, to the cosmos. We're done with that world. Now, we still live in the world, but we're not of the world. If you're still of the world, let me warn you, you're a pretender. And, and so we were baptized into death, death to this world. And then we're raised, just as Christ was raised from the dead, we're raised to walk in the newness of life. In what life? In a godly life, in a righteous life, in a life of truth and righteousness. In a life 
filled with the Holy Spirit in a life where we're living out the calling that God has called us to for our lives. And if, and if that's not the case, then you can get dunked in that pool as many times as you want. It's not going to save you. Baptism, I think, is just like a marriage. It's one of the most beautiful things in the world. And, 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 uh, but you see, marriages go south because all those vows really aren't, sometimes aren't really uh, sincere. And, and when, we, when, we were, when we were baptized, we were saying, yes, Lord, you paid for my sins. And now I'm dying to that old life, and I'm being raised to a new life. A new life, not just calling myself a Christian, but living the life of a Christian by the power of the Holy Spirit. Not the life of Egypt. Not the life of this world. The life of God. And we've got our heads set now, just like Abraham is heading back to Canaan. When we truly are born again, we're heading back to the Lord. Back. What's our home? It's the heavenly Zion where there's an innumerable number of angels, where Christ himself sits on his throne, where all the saints will be gathered in the end and live forever and ever and ever. That's the life that we're living for now. If you're not living for that life, I'm not judging you and I'm not trying to, 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 to hurt you or, or say I'm better than you, but you're a pretender. And I don't want to see any in this room die a pretender because if you die as a pretender you're going to wind up in hell but if you're the real deal you're going to live with Christ forever let's go to the Lord in prayer Father we just thank you for your goodness to us we thank you for the grace we have in Jesus Christ Lord the calling that you've given each one of us Each person in here who you've sought out and called, Lord, you've given us a calling for our lives, a newness of life, your spirit, Lord, so that we can live the kind of life that you've called us to live. Father, if there's anyone in this room who's not sure of their salvation, I ask that they personally deal with that today in their hearts with you, in their souls, and Lord, that they... Draw a line in the sand and say, today's going to be the day I'm going to enter into a real relationship with the Lord. Father, today, as we baptize uh, these four uh, people, Lord, I just ask for just a special blessing. This is such an important occasion. I just ask for your spirit to anoint all that's said and everything that's done. And, Lord, I just just thank you for, for uh, the ceremony of baptism and just what it truly means. Lord, we're so grateful that you died on a cross for our sins so that we could have newness of life and we could live the kind of life that you've called us to, a kingdom life, not a worldly life, not a life in Egypt. Lord, you've given us that power by the strength of your spirit, by the blood of Christ. It's in his precious name that I pray. Amen.